It's hard to feel free when the world is crashing down around us and we're shut up in our homes practicing social distancing. But you don't have to feel trapped. You can write your way to freedom. Welcome to the Right Away Podcast. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Right Away Podcast. It is December 23rd, 2021, as we are recording. I'm Chris Kane with my co-host, JP Ryflesh. Oh, goodness. It feels like, again, it's been forever since we've seen each other, even though it's only been a week. Well, it is with the end of this year. I don't know. Every week is taking too long. (laughs) And yet speeding by for me at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds exactly correct. So how have things been for you with writing life? Good. I think... I'm trying to remember when all of these events happened to try and make sure I don't repeat myself. But regardless, I was having an uh, issue with the nerd serial and trying to find a good place to put how to structure like the story elements and the plot points. And we originally had this like Google Sheets document and it was very cumbersome and very difficult to change on the fly if needed. And we were going to switch to something like Google Docs to do an outline view of that, but that's too simple. And we didn't want that either. And then I remembered Notion. We've used Notion so much, you and I, and I forget about it all the time. And it literally did exactly what we wanted. So you, we created this like database and it has each row has a scene and you can click into those and it opens up each separate scene. Wherever you edit, it updates on both the database and on that page, and you can move the scenes around if you need to without too much of a hassle. So like it answered all of the problems and it was fantastic and super easy to move it to. I know that there are a ton of tools for planning, but Notion seems to be the the one for me. I'm definitely going to harass you into recording a, like a screen capture video capture of an example of that not of nerds because i don't want to spoil things but of that structure i i guess i can do that but yeah until the new year though it's too busy until then oh yeah no i'm like yeah i can do that in a month other than that it's been good things have been like slow but fast at the same time which this whole end of the year makes no sense nothing makes sense anymore but yeah I've just been slow and steady progress which is always a good sign I have a lot of projects which I realized today but I don't care because they're all coming to um, fruition they're all getting closer to being done which is excellent for me so how are things with you So this week has been basically off from writing because the kiddo's out of summer camp slash school and it's Christmas preparations. And I am the type of present purchaser where either I buy everything throughout the year and I'm done by June and I have everybody like in all their presents in my closet, not everybody in my closet, all their presents (laughs) in my closet, (laughs) or uh, I wait until the absolute last minute. And so this has been with the absolute last minute last year's unsurprisingly. And so the kid and I went shopping yesterday, trying to buy his presents for everybody, trying to buy my presents for everybody, my presents for him. And I gave up on hiding his presents from him. Cause I'm like, this is the only day that I'm leaving my house this week. I am just, mm-hmm. I'm not going shopping again without him. 
<laughs> so he knows everything he's getting. Hopefully he forgets, <laughs> but he's at an age now where he actually remembers things. And I don't know if this is enough of a topic for a future episode, but it has made me like wonder, especially for us writing in fantasy worlds, what are the holidays that mm-hmm. are unique to our world building? Because I don't, I don't generally think of them and I don't include them. They're so important to the human experience, but that's not our topic this week. (laughs) (laughs) I do like that topic though, but we'll talk about it another day. I was like, my answer right now would just be like, I only just thought of it. So it's not a full podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Same. (laughs) Oh, but this week we are going to talk about um, how do you write to genre but still be unique how do you be same but different Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. you brought this one to the table do you have any initial thoughts yes excellent (laughs) i i can't remember i think this came up in a mastermind discussion in one form or another but i am a firm believer that there's two ends of the spectrum where either you go full formulaic everything meets all convention or you go and you basically spit in the eye of all conventions and you forge your own path. And I think that in order to, for me, for what I want to view my success, I fit on that spectrum somewhere either in the middle or especially now in my earlier days, being closer to that formulaic side to garner the attention of people that are expecting the same kind of stuff because realistically like when we go to see mystery movies action movies fantasy movies we have these expectations and the more that you ignore those the more likely that your audience is not going to like it if that makes sense in my opinion yeah 100 percent And it was funny when you're having this conversation, my mind like literally went blank on all the tropes that I know, even though romance is thrives on tropes, like that's how you market your books for romance. Mm -hmm. The tropes are often character characters or pairings or situations. So there's the secret baby trope, which is a couple accidentally has a baby, but one of them. Clearly the dude in a heterosexual couple (laughs) doesn't know about Mm -hmm. it. It'd be really hard to do a lesbian romance where there's a secret baby. They have (laughs) to work real hard to get those kiddos. Others are simply like the character's job. Or if you have a series, it's like the firefighter is considered a trope. Construction worker is considered a trope. But like a political consultant would not be Mm -hmm. because... It's a trope when it is repeated over and over in multiple fiction stories. But my brain, for some reason, when we had this conversation was just like, I don't know, all I, the only trope I could think of is kill your gaze. And I hate that trope, but there's also like, you know, fridge, the only interesting lady, which those are the tropes that like, I hate. And that's like a side conversation about tropes, but it does, that's one element in which your your book can be same, but different. Like you can choose which tropes Mm -hmm. you have. You can choose which tropes you don't. Other are character archetypes. So particularly fantasy and sci-fi, we expect very particular character archetypes in different versions, different ways. One of the ways that you can shake up your book with same, but different is having those character archetypes 
not performing the same exact roles that they do in other fantasy books. Yeah. One, one thing I found when I was looking up stuff for this was basically breaking things down into convention and then trope. And in conventions, you have things like your character archetypes, your elements of the story, the setting, and the like obligatory scenes. And then your tropes are basically your means to extrapolate that information that becomes commonplace. When you think about like in fantasy, there's almost always a mentor character. Uh, A trope for that mentor character is old man with a beard. Mm -hmm. So that's the, the trope is the means in which like the most people have been using it and now it's quote unquote overused. But that mentor archetype is something that is almost an expectation for fantasy. I think the author's name is Marcus Broaddus and on an episode of writing excuses, and I couldn't tell you, I think it was season 14 at some point, but he said he would love to No, he in his books has for his mentor character, a, a magical redneck. And that's his mentor character. You have the archetype, but you shake it up. You make it unexpected. Yeah, I definitely think that's the, I think that's the best approach in trying to be same but different is focusing on what are the common tropes for your genre Mm -hmm. and try to subvert those change those up I would be less inclined to change obligatory scenes or certain character archetypes that everyone would expect I think another way is to say okay what are my strengths as a storyteller slash what are my external interests that don't really have anything to do in the genre and how can I bring them into my writing to refresh it? So like for me, one of the things that makes me extremely happy is writing diverse character or uh, like specifically neurodiverse or physically diverse characters in that they might be differently abled. I think I've talked about this before. Like I had a, one of the last romance books I've written it was painful to write until I included um, um, this main character had a sister who had cerebral palsy and being able to pull the information in and give myself a chance to research things um, takes that book from, okay, here's a stock romance book to, hey, here's a stock romance book with some interesting things outside of stock romance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that makes me think of, uh, which I've already told you about this, the movie single all the way that came out on Netflix because that is like formulaic love story that you would expect to see from like uh, places like Hallmark or like Lifetime 100% except the characters are gay so they just subverted the character archetypes and basically made them male yeah I haven't watched it yet I will I promise the other thing that comes to mind is stranger than fiction. You have very strange characters, right? But you make a lot of the jokes, the the interactions very particular to the characters. And I'm thinking of the scene. And if you haven't watched this scene, it's a spoiler for you. I'm terribly sorry. It came out years ago where he brings her flowers, but she's a baker. So he brings her literally different bags of flour so we have this romantic gesture 
and you make it very particular to the characters. So any in-jokes, another example is The Good Place, which uh, like one of my favorite TV shows of all times. And they put so many philosophy jokes in there and just mm-hmm. accept that, they're, that their viewers will understand it. They don't try and dumb it down. They just, they put them in there. They put them into the flow. And it could have been a very stock, like, story about a mix-up between heaven and hell and they did so many things to elevate it but that is is one way that comes to mind another one i was looking into was fantasy setting because the expectation is almost now like medieval world and i think that you can find comfort in writing that medieval world but i think that some of the new fantasy elements that are coming out where it's places in different regional locations Mm -hmm. or using just completely different styles and settings altogether has really made a a new and breath of fresh air into the, the fantasy genre. So I think that even thinking about like where you come from, because for me, I have a lot of like Scandinavian history. So I would really love to write something that's more Scandinavian focused as opposed to like Central European, just to add that slight flair to it. Anything outside of being like British based is really like, you're already taking one step away. If you step out away out of side of, of uh, Western Europe, which is like the UK, Spain, France, Italy, if you take in Germany, if you take one step out, another step outside of that, then you're like two steps away from the standard. I read it years ago. I read an urban fantasy that was mostly set in Slovakia, which I loved because I spent a summer in Slovakia. You're two steps away from the norm there. And I just, I love that. Yeah. And it it just adds a new flair to it and gives room for others to realize like, oh, I can write like that too. That's the kind of stuff I like is the the fringy stuff, the stuff that's on that other spectrum that I can be like, this might be something that I'm either interested in or something that I want to emulate. Particularly if you're an author who finds a lot of joy in research, which both of us happen to be, it that's a really great way uh, for you to take your book to out of that super same and move it to a little bit different, is to find a place that you love, that you have roots to, um, and let yourself go wild researching it, because you'll find a lot of those little things that we talked about, like things particular to the characters and things particular to the setting that you can pull in and take your story to the next next level. And this is a brand thing, but it's like, how do you be same but different? How do you provide the readers what the emotional journey they want, but give them something new enough that they don't feel like they're just rewatching the same thing over and over again, rereading the same thing over and over again. And so when you give them characters in a situation or in a place they've never been, or that you've never been, not them, maybe the characters of their entire life, you're giving them a lot of fresh new information that keeps it interesting to the right kind of reader, the reader that you are looking for. Definitely. Anything Mm -hmm. else? I think that conventions play a really big role. If you were to break everything else down and just think about what are the key concepts for the genre that you want to write in, if you are writing a genre that is 
basically an expected genre. So mystery or, or any of those kind of things. Like what are the conventions that are the base minimum and then build from there? Now, if you're going to do a genre mashup or forge your own path, I think that also includes looking at what the elements of those two, three genres are and trying to find common ground uh, to build up from. I think that if I wanted to do something that was outside of the box, I would probably at least start there with a framework and build from there. And I will say to people that one of the things that conventions are really useful, other than writing your book, is it is selling your book because that's the thing that you are going to hook readers' attention with most of the time because readers will be like, oh, I love that trope. I love that convention. I don't know if this is easy to do in, in most contemporary fiction, but you still have the life falling apart and climbing from the ashes. You have the, everything is currently falling apart and how am I going to deal with it? Like those are conventions. And if you know what like main conventions you're working from, that gives you a lot of good information on how you're going to write your cover copy and, and yank those readers in and be like, okay, here's the convention and let me sprinkle in the differences in the description. So you know what you're getting. So you're like, oh, so they literally are thinking, even if they don't know that they're thinking this subconsciously, this is the same, but different. And I think too, it's going to be dependent on your audience because there may be a different audience within the same genre. But if, for example, you're writing romance and there is no happily ever after at the end, or it ends terribly, you are going to alienate all of the people that you've claimed that this is a romance for. You may yeah. find people that like it, but they I will doubt. tell you it is not like, like they will tell you through and through this is not a romance. Is <laughs> the yeah. happily ever after, at least a happily for now, is a required convention of romance. Yeah. And there was a time where and this is back to movies because this is where my framework for everything comes from. But there was a time where a lot of post-apocalyptic movies were coming out and the endings were always dismal. <laughs> and for a while, I like to me, that was alienating because I was just coming from a bunch of post-apocalyptic movies where the endings always had that little ray of hope. And then all of a sudden out of nowhere, someone was like, let's subvert this. And everyone else followed them. And like, I remember those movies. I will not watch them again <laughs> because it's like, well, I really enjoy movies that make me feel like trash at the end of them. That's really my goal in life. So I think that there's, I, I don't know. I would just suggest, think about what those conventions are. Think of, especially about, beginnings and endings and how that audience takes to those because do you want something that someone reads and they're like that was good but I don't think I'm ever going to pick this up again or do you want someone that might reread it or might recommend it if you really want to write that book that makes people have that feeling at the end of it but they don't ever want to touch the book again mm -hmm. go for it Thank you so much for joining us this year this is our last episode of the year which is insanity, but we will be back next year in just a short week. We do have our book club for this, uh, for January, not December, passing through Ooh. December for January chosen. And that is how to write funny characters by Scott 
stickers. And we'll have a link to that in the show notes. If you'd like the opportunity to join us for the live recording, you can check us out on Patreon. The link will be in the show notes. Thank you so much, everyone. See you later.